Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, March 6th, 2023, the 775th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So as you know, there were no shows on Thursday and Friday. I was attending CPAC in Washington, D.C. with my good friend Patrick Gunnels. The event was at the Gaylord Hotel in National Harbor, which is across the river in Maryland. That's where the convention was. That's where 
we spent most of the weekend. Thursday morning, we got up and we headed into the Imperial Capitol. We got dropped off around the White House and took a nice look at the White House and people taking their pictures and zooming around on segways. And we decided to take ourselves on a walking tour of the empirical capital. So we walked down past the White House and past the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, where Joe Biden's soundstage is set up. That's where Joe Biden's fake presidency operates from. There were a few people filing through the check-in station outside, but not a lot of activity there. We continued walking on down toward the Washington Monument, the obelisk of Washington, D.C., and then the World War II Memorial and the Reflecting Pool, both of which were totally empty. And the sign said that they were empty for cleaning, which I don't understand. Maybe there's a very special way to clean reflecting pools and it takes a while. But you would think that they'd want to take the water out, clean it, put the water back in because it looks nice. And it's the nation's capital, right? It's the capital of the most powerful and wealthy nation in the history of the world. It seems like we should have our national landmarks in the nation's capital up and running all the time, but apparently not. So we walk down the side of the reflecting pool and toward the end, water has collected and is just like this green muck. The entire area smells absolutely awful, like dirty, stale water, which is appropriate for Washington, D.C. It does actually just smell like a swamp. And then we walk up the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It's a, an impressive structure, no doubt about it. And there were maybe 50 or so tourists there. So that was kind of impressive because most of the rest of the area seemed like a ghost town. And so we walk back down from the Lincoln Memorial. We are tracing back Constitution Avenue, going back toward the White House. We want to go see some more of the federal buildings and eventually make our way down to the Capitol. We walk past the Federal Reserve Building, which is completely gated off and under construction, as is the building next to it. Just all construction vehicles cut off driveways. My guess would be that no one was in either building, but I don't know for sure. Just strange that the Fed is closed. I'm sure they have their offices somewhere else, and they're doing all their very important Federal Reserve work in Washington, D.C. Despite the construction, I'm just telling you how the building was. And naturally, Patrick and I are discussing just about everything under the sun, from the strange relative emptiness of Washington, D.C., to the party of false decorum, to cryptocurrencies and whatever else crosses our mind. So we're heading down now toward the Capitol, and we pass by the Waldorf Astoria, which used to be the Trump Hotel. We were excited to go in there. If it was possible to access that building, we didn't see the way. Maybe we didn't go to the front door. It's totally possible. We quickly lost interest because it was right next to the IRS and we walked past the IRS, saw somebody going in through the metal detectors in there and there was a bunch of security outside, but not much going on there either. And we made our way down to the Capitol and the Capitol, the face of it that we saw was 
almost completely covered up by tarps and scaffolding. And it looks like there's a major construction project at the Capitol, too. Or perhaps they're just keeping their plan of permanent readiness for insurrection in place. And maybe because it's still the late winter on the East Coast, or maybe it's because it's a dreary day, or maybe it's because we have an absolutely shameful fake administration in office. But there weren't all that many tourists around anywhere, and it caught us both by surprise. Now, to be fair, we have nothing to base that on since we don't know what it's normally like. We just both imagined it would be busier. All told, we did about eight miles on foot and congratulated ourselves for our athleticism. And we headed back to the hotel. We checked out Media Row at the conference, and all sorts of media outlets were there, as you might imagine. John Fredericks, Epoch Times, Real America's Voice was kind of the hot spot for the whole weekend between War Room and all the guests that come on War Room and how big a hit War Room is for that crowd. Newsmax had a big stage. There wasn't much energy there most of the weekend. Make of that what you will. There was a little booth next to that where Don Jr. and Kim Guilfoyle and Jack Posobiec and some others were doing podcasts and appearances. And I'm sure I'm forgetting plenty of other news organizations, and I don't mean for it to be a slight. The first day or so, there were figures from regime media, maybe there the whole time. I'm just saying what I noticed and when, but there were people there from Politico, the guy that dresses like a cowboy dandy on Showtime's The Circus. I think his name's Mark McKinnon or something. He was there pretending to be a cowboy, I guess. Tim Miller and other Lincoln Project bulwark types were there. And there were a smattering of DeSantis simps like Kurt Schlichter and John Cardillo. I'm sure the two of them are going to have such bright futures as DeSantis simps. No one could ever catch on to what they're doing, except for the fact that pretty much everyone already has. And those kinds of people spent the weekend talking about how this CPAC was bad for Trump. It made Trump look bad. The people attending We're all disappointed that Trump had abandoned them by no longer fighting the election fraud. He just walked away. And Trump, of course, is responsible for the vaccines. And Trump, of course, is responsible for losing in the midterms and losing 2020 and losing 2018. It's not election fraud. It's Trump. Vaccines are Trump's fault. The CPAC attendance is Trump's fault. The CPAC attendance is is probably more a factor of two particular things. One of them, accusations made against Matt Schlapp. I have no idea whether those accusations are true or not, but I have seen people who I trust and think do good work reporting on all of that. They certainly do believe it's true, so maybe there's something there, and maybe that kept certain people away. But I think that perhaps the main reason why CPAC was more subdued for the first few days is that the Con Inc. GOP establishment types don't really have much to do there anymore. Fox News did not cover CPAC. Yes, they did broadcast Donald Trump's speech from CPAC after Steve Bannon mocked them relentlessly on stage the night before. 
but they didn't have a booth at CPAC. They weren't broadcasting from CPAC. They weren't there on the ground. And that's not surprising for Fox because Fox has gone along with the central narrative, the regime narrative throughout most of the time since Trump came down the escalator. The media outlets that were there are predominantly MAGA media outlets, America First media outlets. I should mention RSBN, of course, they were there. They always do a great job with bringing all of these events live to everyone. So I don't want to leave them out. But Con Inc. didn't really have a reason to be there. They're not going to come out in force to support Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy or the DeSantis simps doing their little panels. There's not much excitement in the country right now for establishment Republicans who say all the same things establishment Republicans have always said. Those speeches don't rile anybody up because none of them actually address the critical issues happening in this country. There's nothing to say about any of those issues from an establishment perspective. They can't talk about the truth of the Russia-Ukraine conflict because they've all spent the last year supporting Ukraine. They can't talk about how bad the vaccines are because they've all spent the last few years on the side of the vaccines and disseminating the COVID narrative. They can't talk about election fraud because they pretend it doesn't happen. There's no argument against Trump if you accept the reality of election fraud, because then what you're arguing for is the eradication of justice. You're arguing that everyone should just simply move on. Sure, the election was stolen, but we don't need to back Trump in his attempts to bring justice into our elections, to bring integrity into our elections, to restore the freeness and fairness of our elections and the purpose of each and every American's individual vote. We can just talk about ballot harvesting and poll watching and how we need to register more people. Let's ignore the system that is specifically designed to keep populist Americans out of office, to keep America first citizens out of office. What we need to do is move on. We need to find a candidate that appeals to the middle of the country so we can make sure to cater to all those normie establishment Republicans that are still offended by the sound of Donald Trump's voice. And they don't understand what any of this is actually about, which is amazing that they still don't understand. It should be impossible at this point not to understand what all this is about and why it matters. Donald Trump is the tool. He is the weapon. He is the champion. He is specifically and individually capable of bringing down the global regime, maybe even once and for all. And no one else is. He had the election stolen from him. Anyone arguing that we should move on from that is doing the work of the regime and nothing could possibly be more obvious. So that's why they need to portray Donald Trump as having really lost. It doesn't matter how many elections are stolen in broad daylight in front of the entire country. The 2020 election at all levels, not just Trump, all levels, the runoff election on January 5th, 2021 in Georgia. Primary elections throughout the midterm cycle, we saw the malfeasance and manipulation. The 2022 midterms, quite obviously, Kerry Lake specifically, but so many other candidates, obviously. 
Does anyone believe that John Fetterman really won an election in Pennsylvania? And then the runoff for the midterms in Georgia. That's five separate election periods, all manipulated and stolen right in the faces of the American public in broad daylight. And everyone knows it. Except, of course, for those people who are completely addicted to the central narrative and or truly hate Donald Trump. And many of them know it, too. They just don't want it to be true because they understand what that being true means. If you admit that Carrie Lake had her election stolen in broad daylight in front of the entire country, well, then what does that mean? That means Donald Trump might have had his stolen. And then if you are a Trump hater like the DeSantis simps, people who imagine they're centrists, everyone who supports Joe Biden, all of those are basically the same thing. Your whole anti-Trump argument breaks down into nothing. If Trump had the election stolen, then the American presidency has been usurped. That is an issue of critical and historical importance. So you can't really address it head on. Because there's absolutely no way to prove that Joe Biden could have ever gotten 81 million real legal American votes from his basement. There's no way you can prove that the hundreds of thousands of votes without chain of custody documentation in Arizona constituted valid votes. Election laws have not been followed to the point where they don't matter at all. Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that elements of their 2020 election were unconstitutional and everyone just pretends that didn't happen, that the elections are just fine. Pennsylvania's courts ruled that Pennsylvania's 2020 election was unconstitutional and that's still being appealed, but it doesn't change the underlying reality. Elections were and are held outside of the legal bounds. But none of that matters, because if that starts mattering, then Donald Trump becomes the only solution and they can't allow that. So when you can't talk about the critical issues that are on Americans minds and that actually are responsible for this situation we find ourselves in, you focus on other things that are lower order problems. And you try to only discuss those things while coding your messaging in a way that might appeal to the ear of MAGA voters. And so that's what we are being presented with as alternatives to Donald Trump. We are being told that Ron DeSantis is not only as MAGA as Donald Trump, he's more MAGA. He's actually going to achieve all of the goals of the America first movement. And he's going to do it even more easily because he's so much smarter and so much wiser and so much more responsible. And he can really tell those normies what's what in a way that Donald Trump just can't. You see, Donald Trump is never going to reach those people, according to them. And Ron DeSantis can. And unlike Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis is focused on the here and now. Donald Trump is focused on his bruised ego from having lost these elections. It's all his fault. Donald Trump just did nothing right and he can't accept responsibility. So he's going to blame everybody else. That's what we are told. And there are some people who still believe that, but that seems to be the strategy with the people pushing Ron DeSantis. And again, a caveat, as I always say, this stuff is not coming directly from Ron DeSantis. 
Ron DeSantis could come out and put a stop to all this right now simply by saying he's not running and throwing his support behind Donald Trump. But I don't think we're going to see that. And it may well turn out that DeSantis does run. I don't think he will, but maybe he will. Regardless, the people supporting Ron DeSantis and pushing a presidential run by Ron DeSantis are attempting to give MAGA this shiny object. Hey, this thing is actually the better version of that thing you say you want. It has all the good aspects of the thing you say you want, except it doesn't have the bad aspects. This one doesn't cause all of the division in our country. We can unify around Ron DeSantis with people who will just never support Donald Trump no matter what. And because what they want is to get MAGA on their side, they assume that what MAGA wants is to get all of them on our side. But we don't actually need that. And we certainly don't need it on their terms. We have to break out of the paradigm of focusing only on elections as they're described in the media, as they are illustrated in the polling, and as they are proven in the election results. We know the polling has no real way of being accurate about the real world. It can be accurate about the false reality we find ourselves in and based on a bunch of bad underlying assumptions and bad statistics. There's no way to get good polling statistics with the way the polling companies operate. And we're not in this bygone era of the crazy, intense focus on elections. Oh, we need to get this group of voters. We need to attract this group of voters somehow. And this is how we're going to do it. That's not how it works. Voters respond to their priorities being represented. Now, people are understanding that this choice isn't just some pragmatic thing that we can decide upon based on how the media describes the electability of the candidates. Oh, the TV tells us Ron DeSantis is more electable and he's mostly like Trump. So let's take that option. That's nice and safe. And then we can unify. Well, we don't need to do that. We need to show people that Donald Trump was right the whole time, most particularly about the election. And people are beginning to learn and understand that even though it takes far too long. But there are cultural awakenings down many different avenues, and eventually election fraud will be one of those. At that point, it's not going to matter that the establishment presents these candidates that they believe should be appealing to MAGA. The only way to appeal to MAGA is by actually being America first, which necessarily includes pursuing the truth of our elections and the fact that they are stolen at all levels all around the country. So the shiny object does not work and there's no way that it will work. Ron DeSantis cannot get MAGA. And even at CPAC, once again, Donald Trump cleaned up in the CPAC straw poll. Ron DeSantis came in second with 20%. And he was the only other candidate in double digits. And Ron DeSantis didn't even show up. If he's the rising star of the conservative movement, why isn't he at CPAC? Oh, it's because they didn't want DeSantis and Trump to be head to head in some sense. 
What would the reaction have been if Ron DeSantis actually spoke and seemed like he was running? Do you really want to put Ron DeSantis on a stage and see him completely ignore the election issue? Seems like a bad idea. And hey, maybe Trump and DeSantis are coordinating their efforts and allowing all of this to play out in the public rather than getting involved themselves. Donald Trump snipes at Ron DeSantis continually. Ron DeSantis deserves the sniping. Ron DeSantis needs a public vetting. It hasn't happened. Ron DeSantis won because Donald Trump propelled him into office. And since then, he has governed fairly well in Florida on most issues people care about, or at least that's the story the television gives us about Ron DeSantis and all the people who cannot bring themselves to do the one and only thing that actually does support their real stated priorities, which is support Donald Trump. They continue to like Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis makes them feel like they can support him publicly without getting in trouble. And they haven't gotten brave enough to do that for Donald Trump yet. And that is what's going on. They have chosen to remain in the party of false decorum. But there were some other candidates there as well. Nikki Haley was there, gave a speech, I think, on Friday. And after her speech, Patrick and myself and our buddy Pepe Deluxe were having a conversation out in the hallway, the entranceway into the convention part of things. This hotel, by the way, is massive. It's like the hotel and the convention center all in one building. It felt a bit like a Vegas casino. It's so big. So we're standing out in that hall and all of a sudden down the middle of the hall comes Nikki Haley surrounded by 30 media figures, cameramen, photographers, just tracking her every step moving through with her. And as soon as it gets to the end of the hallway, it all kind of dissipates, disappears, and the press people begin walking back in toward the convention. The entire thing was totally staged. And I understand the response that, yes, all of this is staged. All of this is a show. The pomp and circumstance, the optics and messaging outward to people who aren't at the convention. I get all that. I totally get all that. Also, after working in Hollywood bars and nightclubs and celebrity events for 15 plus years. I know what it looks like for a public figure to be mobbed by fans and by paparazzi and other media. I know what it's like for a celebrity to literally be followed around by people who want to get close to them, meet them, take a picture with them, get a picture of them and what they're doing or get their comment on some issue. That's not what this was. This was just for show. It was comical. Tim Miller, who I mentioned before, the uh, bulwark commie, he posted a picture of the convention hall, maybe 60% empty as it was most of the week up until Saturday, and tried to make a point about how no one went in to see Don Jr. speak well, it turns out that Nikki Haley, the establishment candidate who the bulwark people will support far more than they will ever support Donald Trump. She had far fewer people in the audience for her speech than Donald Trump Jr. did. Trump Jr.'s speech attendance was more of a reflection of how many people waited 
until Saturday to show up because they only wanted to come for Saturday. They wanted to see Trump and they wanted to see people like Jair Bolsonaro and some of the other real marquee speakers of that weekend. There was no support there for Nikki Haley. Maybe some people wanted to take their pictures with her. I didn't see that stuff happening, but it's possible. I think she received about 6% in the straw poll. So there are certainly people there that do still like Nikki Haley for some reason. But the Nikki Haley thing does not seem like it's going to happen in any real way. And the truth is that Nikki Haley may just be a decoy in the first place. However real the anti-Trump establishment movement is, it wasn't at CPAC in any substantial numbers. They also had a speech from Vivek Ramaswamy, who announced on Tucker Carlson's show last week that he is going to run for president. He had written a book called Woke Incorporated that discussed the woke agenda in American and transnational corporations, things like ESG scores, all of these companies obviously involved in the global World Economic Forum agenda. And a lot of people really liked that book, got a lot of value out of it. And I'm not saying the book isn't or wasn't valuable. It's certainly important to highlight those issues, but those aren't the most important issues facing the country. They are involved. They are very important, but they're not down to the roots of anything. They're not what's really fundamental about this. They're more of a symptom of a much bigger problem than they are the much bigger problem. I was approached at one point by a Vivek Ramaswamy volunteer passing out flyers for an event that he was holding that evening off site. Why don't you come down to the Vivek Ramaswamy event and participate in the ascent of Vivek Ramaswamy? And I told her that I'm not really interested. I go, nah, I'm not really a big fan. Thank you. And she's like, well, why don't you just come down and ask him some questions? I go, I really don't think that I need to do that. And she's like, well, why not? And I said, well, I like what he says about these woke issues and I understand it. I just don't think it's the most important thing. Like, I don't think he's focused on what really, really matters. And she says, well, you don't believe that what they're teaching in schools is a problem or the grooming of the children and all that. And I said, no, I think that stuff's very important. I just don't think it's the ultimate important stuff. And it's certainly not something that is going to make me consider voting for him over Donald Trump. And then I said, until Vivek Ramaswamy says that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president and our elections are stolen and he wants to do something about that, I have no reason to listen to him. And she got a little upset and then walked away. So that's what we're dealing with on the Vivek side of things. Now, there was another apparent presidential candidate from the Republican side attending CPAC, and no one's ever heard of him, which is why virtually no one realized that it was happening. The guy is named Perry Johnson, and he is a Michigan businessman who thinks that he's going to present the more independent option. He had attempted to run for Michigan governor, and after failing to get on the ballot, he has now decided that president is in his future. Now, I don't mean to make fun of this guy because it's not important how many followers you have on Twitter, generally speaking. But if you have a thousand followers on Twitter, as Perry Johnson does, and you are running for president, 
you might have some problems. What is the advantage here? He might be a very good businessman, might be a very smart man, might have very good principles, but no one knows who the hell he is. And again, we don't need someone in that lane who doesn't understand the problem. If you are contesting Donald Trump for the nomination of the Republican Party, there is a good argument to be made that you don't understand the problem. Again, Donald Trump is the only person singularly positioned to address what the real problem is, and he's the only one talking about it. So what we're being presented with is a bunch of different versions of the thing that we actually want, and we are being sold by these used car salesmen in establishment politics on why this option or this option or this option is actually going to be just a little better for us. You see, the salesman understands what our needs are even better than we do because they've been salesmen for so long. Here's Ron DeSantis, the knockoff Donald Trump. Sure, it's going to cost you your country, but it does give you a better chance to unify with the people who wore masks and tried to force you to take vaccines and support the war in Ukraine. Or what about Nikki Haley? She must have sort of liked Donald Trump at some point because she was part of the administration for a little while. And she's a brown woman. Wouldn't that be progressive for the Republican Party? And then you've got a rich businessman. That's almost exactly like Donald Trump, except nobody knows who he is. And the guy has no ability to control a public narrative. And again, we're not asking for a replacement for Donald Trump. That's you guys suggesting replacements that we will like. And we keep telling you, no, you actually don't understand what we care about. And we don't like any of these things, no matter what kind of very intellectual arguments you present. There's just no way, guys. It's not going to happen. We came here to buy this car. We don't want to see all the other models that you feel fit our needs better. But this effort isn't only happening on the right. People are beginning to jump into the presidential fray on the Democrat side of things. The best-selling spiritual guru, Marianne Williamson, is back for another attempt at the Democratic Party's nomination for president. She has announced her candidacy, and she's all very new-agey and thinks that she can really speak to all the commies and normies on the left, all the Biden supporters that have realized Joe Biden is absolutely the worst fake president imaginable. And she sees a real lane for her totally inauthentic positivity message about the global agenda because she is fully aligned with the agenda, but she wants to present it in a way that's going to unify everybody because again, all the candidates think that the way to present themselves is as the great unifier, as if the number one problem in American life is that people aren't unified. And I'm not saying that that doesn't present any problems. It would be wonderful if the country was all aligned about its priorities, but only if the priorities are the right priorities. 
We don't need the country to align around globalism. We don't need everyone to just declare a truce and then go back to the way things were before as the global regime continues to infiltrate and continues to push the World Economic Forum agenda, the UN 2030 agenda forward. And I've talked about all of this before. You can only unify around the right positions. You stay in the right position and let other people come to the right position. And when enough people come to that position, you will be unified around the right thing. That's the priority. The right thing is the priority. The unification is not the priority. You don't unify with people who pushed masks and lockdowns and social distancing and mail-in balloting and tried to cover up the theft of the 2020 election and other elections, the people who pushed the J6 insurrection narrative, the people enabling open borders immigration, the people who pushed vaccine mandates and medical segregation. You don't unify with those people just because unification is the goal. They need to understand they were wrong. They need to understand who is right. And everybody can rally around the proper flag, the one that is positioned in the right place on the right issues. Unifying around bad priorities isn't smart. It isn't helpful. That's not how we advance. And of course, Marianne Williamson has absolutely no chance of winning the Democratic nomination. So she is also spending her time with the people pretending to have a realistic shot of setting up a third party. So again, they can appeal to the need to unify on the left and the right. They want both sides of the normie sphere to center themselves around this third party idea. Well, we can all agree everybody hates Donald Trump. We can all agree that the fake president didn't work out. So let's just start a third party with Andrew Yang and Evan McMullen and Liz Cheney. And hey, Marianne Williamson, you're welcome to go appeal to those people too. You don't want to just focus on the progressive communist left. You can focus on the people who pretend they're not on the progressive communist left even though they are, and even though they push the same globalist agenda forward. But there was one interesting piece of presidential candidate news, and that's the stories that came out at the end of last week about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. potentially throwing his hat in the ring on the Democrat side. Now, despite being a Kennedy, I would guess that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has no chance whatsoever of winning the Democratic Party's nomination for president, but he can be a pretty major disruptor. He can attract people who voted for Joe Biden and have since realized that the vaccines are not safe, not effective, and were never necessary. And I would be surprised if indeed RFK Jr. does announce his candidacy for the Democratic nomination if he actually centered his campaign around attacking Donald Trump, I don't think that would be a major priority for him. I think that he could attract quite a lot of attention in the Democrat Party, partly because of his family's name and history, his history as a liberal, and the fact that he has been speaking out against the vaccine for this entire time for many years. And that might constitute its own massive block of support within the Democrat voter base. 
and that could cause them quite a lot of problems. RFK Jr. being up on a debate stage with his extensive knowledge of pharma and the regime surrounding pharma, its effect on politics, and the fact that the regime as it exists in the illegitimate administration has been pushing vaccine mandates and medical segregation. He is in most ways anti-establishment and the establishment of both parties, the powers that be in the uniparty, do not want an anti-establishment candidate. He could basically play the role that Bernie Sanders played in 2015 and 2016, and he would get a lot of support. He would have support on social media. People would have no problem supporting him in their social circles. They would be called conspiracy theorists by some people, but those people wouldn't be taken seriously. And if he remains in that process, if they get to the point where primary voting is happening, they're going to see Robert F. Kennedy Jr. become the victim of election fraud and manipulation, much as they saw with Bernie Sanders in 2016. Bernie Sanders didn't actually fight at all. That's the problem with Bernie Sanders. He took the payoffs and went back to being a good little communist. Bernie Sanders has been committed to the advancement of the global regime for his entire career. He's been in the same mindset for 60 years and been pursuing the same things for 60 years. He attracted a populist base within the Democrat Party because people were rejecting the establishment. It's not like they were all for Bernie Sanders version of communism that he goes around calling democratic socialism, even though it's just communism. He was seen as an anti-establishment alternative. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has that without the commitment to global regime communism that unavoidably intersects with pharma. So imagine the scenario a year from now where the primaries have started in earnest, the voting has begun, and we're approaching Super Tuesday. That's the night that sank Bernie in 2016 with South Carolina. They called up old Jim Clyburn. He cranked up the election fraud machine, and there it was. Hillary Clinton is the winner. Same thing in 2020. South Carolina, Jim Clyburn cranks up the election fraud machine and Bernie's finished. It's going to be Joe Biden. Imagine being a Biden 2020 voter who understands that the vaccines are not safe, not effective and were never necessary. And in fact, are responsible for death and maiming and sterilization, including of little children We're talking about a year from now, right? Another full year of people waking up to all these facts. But imagine being one of those people and then seeing the election stolen from RFK Jr. in broad daylight. How do you react at that point? What do you say? What do you do? Do you realize once and for all that election fraud is very, very real and that they don't care about Democrat and Republican? That is a possible outcome of this. So if he wants to throw his hat in the ring, good for him. I don't want him to be president and I don't want Democrat Party politics running anything whatsoever, but he may very well end up presenting himself as an agent of chaos in the Democrat Party. If they go and steal primary elections from RFK Jr. and he has this big base of support who are now anti-vaccine and understand that he was telling the truth about an issue 
for a very long time, he could wake up a whole lot of still sleeping communists. I don't believe there is any possible scenario where he wins the Democrat nomination and it ends up being Trump versus Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So there's not much need to analyze the political dynamic that might emerge there. It's entirely possible that his candidacy alone and him being on the debate stages and going through a bit of that primary could wake a bunch of Biden voters up completely about the vaccines and about election fraud. And that would be incredible. It's the sort of thing that you could imagine Donald Trump actually setting in motion. There was a time where the two of them were going to be working together to get to the bottom of that vaccine issue. But then the claim is the narrative is that Donald Trump disbanded their panel after he was paid off by Big Pharma as if Donald Trump's politics are for sale. We've already seen that they're not. But if that happens, it will be fun to watch. But let's talk about Donald Trump's keynote speech to cap off CPAC late Saturday afternoon. He mostly focused on fairly familiar territory if you've been listening to Donald Trump's speeches and rallies. But there were a few great highlights as well. It's clear that Donald Trump at this point is basically no holds barred and ready to go after everyone who stands in his way, even if they're on the Republican side, which you got to love because there are a whole lot of problems on the Republican side. Again, we don't need unity. We don't need to unify with bad people. We need to expose the bad people and force them to either move to the right position or to Come out clearly as the enemy. If you want to attempt to destroy Donald Trump and demoralize MAGA, start a new Lincoln project. DeSantis supporters, you're basically already there right now. Go ahead and vote for Joe Biden in 2024 and tell the country, just like the Lincoln Project did, the Bulwark, National Review, the Dispatch, etc., tell them that Joe Biden is actually the responsible conservative choice. We need to unify. We need to support our institutions. We can never go back to that crazy Trump era. That is the worst thing that could ever happen in the world. And then they'll basically become Sam Harris at that point. Everything is justified to keep Trump out. We are going to see that never Trump wave rise once again and then crash down upon all of them. These people haven't learned their lessons or Donald Trump being reelected presents an existential crisis for them because that's the end of the road for the corruption in the regime. Donald Trump has promised many times to get rid of it. And I, for one, believe he's telling the truth. Here he is going after the establishment. When we started this journey, a journey like there has never been before. There's never been anything like this. We had a Republican Party that was ruled by freaks, neocons, globalists, open border zealots, and fools. But we are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Karl Rove, and Jeb Bush. Freaks, neocons, open border zealots, and fools. And he points out Paul Ryan, who is on the board of directors at Fox News, 
Carl Rove, who was Bush's brain, Carl Rove, who's responsible for the establishment anti-Trump effort, who knows how much he is orchestrating and having funded in the background of all this. And Jeb Bush, who has come out strong in favor of Ron DeSantis. Again, there's no room for these people. They weren't even at CPAC. Where do they expect all this energy to come from? Twitter fights with their little pod of social media influencers who are honestly getting smoked by all of us on Twitter every day. These people are literally betting their futures on the success of the regime. They are totally in league with the regime at this point. If their mission was to take down and eradicate the regime, they would be figuring out ways to support Donald Trump and to bring candidates into the MAGA movement who also could communicate their side or could communicate to their people in a way they don't believe that Donald Trump can. But that's not what they're doing. They're saying that Donald Trump is bad and crazy and dangerous and can't get over his 2020 loss and is responsible for the loss in the midterms. That's not going to work out at all. And at the same time, all of those people are supporting the Ukraine war effort. They're wagging the dog when it comes to China and Taiwan. And again, they supported not quite as much, not quite as publicly, but they allowed it all to happen. They supported the entirety of the COVID narrative, the election cover up, the J6 stuff, the vaccines, all of it. That's who and what they are. They have sold our country out to China and to the global regime. And their agenda is what has created all of this mess in the first place. And speaking of Ukraine, I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent and very easily World War Three, very easily. And you're going to have World War Three, by the way. You're going to have World War Three if something doesn't happen fast. You're going to have World War Three. Before I even arrive at the Oval Office, I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It will be settled quickly. Quickly. I will get the problem solved, and I will get it solved in rapid order. And it will take me no longer than one day. I know exactly what to say to each of them. I got along with very well with them. I got along very well with Putin, even though I'm the one that ended his pipeline. Remember, they said, Trump is giving a lot to Russia. Really? Putin actually said to me, if you're my friend, I'd hate like hell to see you as my enemy. So you may have noticed that the video was cut just a little bit. That's Reuters presentation of that video. They cut out some of the clapping and cheering and stuff. But it's fine for focusing on what Trump said. He is making it very clear that in the direction we are going, what lies ahead is World War Three. If the global regime and the illegitimate administration continue to push their priorities, we will end up in World War Three. Donald Trump is not backing down from this. He understands the reality as it is. Russia's not backing down. China's not backing down. The countries of the BRICS currency alliance are not backing down. And you can see the global regime going after them worldwide, including even in India. The regime is trying to exert leverage wherever it can, and it's not working out so well. But what's Trump saying here? He's saying that if you don't like war, 
He's the man to stop it. The person who never got us into any new foreign wars and wrapped up other foreign excursions can end this war, too. In fact, he often says it would have never happened if he was the president. And for sure, that's true. I've talked at length, and of course, many others have, too, about the fact that Vladimir Putin is attacking the global regime in one of their strongholds in Ukraine, and that Xi Jinping is likely planning to remove the global regime from Taiwan. It seems to me that Donald Trump is simply saying that the regime decided to steal the election, and in doing so, they took the more peaceful options off the table. This is not the way things had to go, but the regime chose to steal the election. And so Russia is choosing to remove the regime in this way rather than more peaceful ways. The same thing may happen between China and Taiwan as well. It seems to me that Donald Trump is communicating all of this directly to the regime. In fact, I think he's often speaking directly to the regime in a way that also makes sense for his supporters and tells the country about what's really going on. Despite the optics of the fake president being in the fake White House most of the time, Donald Trump is still one of, if not the most powerful men in the world. And he's operating from a position of leverage and strength. He is telling them, when you choose to relent, this will be over. And it will continue until you choose to relent because there is no way that we will be defeated. And this was one of the key themes of this speech. The job will be completed. The mission will be accomplished. And he's doing it on behalf of the American people. We're a nation in decline. Our enemies are desperate to stop us because they know that we are the only ones who can stop them. They know that this room is so important. The people in this room... They know that we can defeat them. They know that we will defeat them, but they're not coming after me. They're coming after you, and I'm just standing in their way. That's all I'm doing. I'm standing in their way. And that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm standing before you, because we are going to finish what we started. We started something that was a miracle. We're going to complete the mission. We're going to see this battle through to ultimate victory. We're going to make America great again. An old school Trump line that still has all the meaning it has ever had. He is standing between the regime and us. Ultimately, it is our enslavement the regime has in store. Donald Trump is very clear about what role he plays. We can imagine all sorts of scenarios where someone other than Trump could or would do that. Or maybe someone like Ron DeSantis might try to do it. But none of that is an acceptable substitute for the one person who has proven it is his one and only priority to do exactly that. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior, I am your justice, and for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. 
And that's a powerful statement. He is capturing something very real at this moment. Again, I know people are inclined to want unity, to want everything to be nice and easy, but that's not the world we live in right now. There have been great wrongs committed against the people by this regime globally. The people of the world are in very similar positions to the people of the United States of America. Trump knows that. Sovereign nationalist leaders around the world know and understand that. And while we don't seek revenge against our fellow citizens who have promoted and supported all of this to our direct detriment, we do seek accountability and justice under the law. We do want them to know exactly what they've done and be held responsible for it, even if it is just in a moral sense and people understanding who has done what. People do need to be held accountable. They need to be held morally accountable for where they have stood throughout this time. Or we just invite these times back again and again and again. But when it comes to the people in the regime who actually thrust all of this upon us, they do deserve retribution. They need to be held accountable under the law for crimes against humanity and for treason. And they need to be punished for that. To the fullest extent the law allows, Donald Trump is not confused at all about the stakes. We have no choice. If we don't do this, our country will be lost forever. People are tired of rhinos and globalists. They want to see America first. That's what they want. It's not too complicated. This is the final battle. They know it. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. This is it. Either they win or we win. And if they win, we no longer have a country. And he's right. That's the critical point of all of this. They win or we win. It is totally binary. There are two choices. We can only have one of them. And it's all one or all the other. If they win, there is no more America. It doesn't mean that everything's getting nuked and destroyed on the first day. It just means that the global regime takes over when the borders are gone, when the full tracking of American citizens is implemented, the biomedical state all tracked on your device, or as you've all know, Harari says under your skin, all your medical information, your social credit score, your cashless central bank, digital currency, when they bring in what they want to bring in. You will own nothing and they say you will be happy. That is their plan. They tell it to you all the time. That is the future if they win. And that is what is so insulting about the whole rhino thing, because they understand that they understand the voters they're talking to don't want that. So they lie to those voters and tell them that's not what's coming, even though they know it's true because they support it, because they want that. They are incentivized to want that. They profit from it. They increase in their status and their power. And that is totally unacceptable for this nation. Now, much of the mainstream media and many of the normies out there, they hear these things and think that Trump is just bloviating again. He's just talking Trump smack, saying the things that inflate his ego. He's just laying out a list of his grievances. 
But some of them know how to hear Donald Trump and they know what he's saying and they know that he's coming after them. And so the regime responds accordingly. This was in the Atlantic on Sunday, March 5th, the martyr at CPAC. Former President Donald Trump gripped the CPAC lectern as he workshopped a new sales pitch. I stand here today and I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent and very easily World War III. And you're going to have World War III, by the way. It was just one in a string of ominous sentences that the 45th president offered tonight during his nearly two hour headlining speech at the annual conservative conference, which for years prided itself on its ties to Ronald Reagan, but is now wholly intertwined with Trumpism, if little else. Yet even amid cultish devotion, Trump seemed bored, listless and unanimated as he spoke to a sprawling hotel ballroom that was only three quarters full. Now, None of that is true, but this is the Atlantic. They are framing this in a way they can get away with. Oh, we're just estimating. It's our opinion that Trump seemed bored and listless, as if they are the ones who know how to read Trump the best. For much of the speech, Trump's voice took on more of a soft and haggard whisper than the booming throaty scream that characterized his campaign rallies. His language, by contrast, was bellicose. Tonight's address was among the darkest speeches he has given since his American Carnage inaugural address. And that American Carnage speech was one of the best speeches you could ever watch Trump deliver. If you're one of the people who has gotten on the Trump train in the last few years and you've never listened to that speech, I encourage you to do so rather than taking the media's assessment of it. Trump warned that the United States is becoming a nation in decline and a crime-ridden, filthy communist nightmare. He's right. He spoke of an epic battle against sinister forces on the left. He repeatedly painted himself as a martyr, a tragic hero, still hoping for redemption. They're not coming after me, they're coming after you, and I'm just standing in their way, Trump told the room. He pulled out his best, half-hearted patent. We are going to finish what we started. We're going to complete the mission. We're going to see this battle through to ultimate victory. He was heavy on adjectives, devastating with nouns. We will liberate America from these villains and scoundrels once and for all, he said. This was only Trump's fourth public event since he officially entered the 2024 race last fall. Rather than lay out his vision for America, he found a mess of topics about which to complain. The White House, Trump said, wasn't the easiest building to live in. Oh, so important. He opined that illegal immigrants come in and we house them in the Waldorf Astoria. He characterized Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell as a China-loving politician and sounded legitimately disappointed when saying, my wonderful travel ban is gone. He lamented the halcyon days before he knew the terms subpoena and grand jury. He called Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg racist and griped about the Department of Injustice. Shortly before his speech, Trump told James Rosen of Newsmax that he intends to stay in the 2024 presidential race, even if he is indicted in one or more criminal investigations. Relatedly, he promised to totally obliterate the deep state. And that's one of the lines that really wound these people up. They thought that they could get him out of the race by having Merrick Garland indict him for something that he quite obviously didn't do. We have enough of a history of these things now, seven and a half years, almost eight years now of being told what Trump did and that the walls are closing in. The walls aren't closing in. You want to stage some fake indictment? 
go right ahead. It's not going to change a damn thing. It'll just be another massive rug pull for Biden voters. The audience largely composed of Trump loyalists hooted and repeatedly yelled USA. Oh, gosh, that must have been terrible to hear, Atlantic writer. A brief selection of the hats dotting the hallways outside the Potomac Ballroom. MAGA, America, let's go Brandon, Trump won. We the people are pissed. And I guess that upsets them as well. Trump's solemn face was splashed across an array of comically dramatic acrylic paintings on display. Carrie Lake, the election denier who lost her race for Arizona governor last year, kissed one on stage Friday night. Downstairs from the main stage, attendees could have their picture taken in a mock version of Trump's Oval Office. Multiple people roamed the corridors in red, white, and blue Trump 45 baseball jerseys. As the former president spoke, supporters waved bright red, we want Trump signs. But the man himself seemed only sort of into it and very bitter. Oh, so emotional. It was a strange and lackluster conference, more of a 1 a.m. at the party vibe than the greatest political movement in the history of our country that Trump invoked tonight. Perhaps years from now, 2023 will be remembered as the last gasp of CPAC. Gone was the Fox Nation sponsorship. Newsmax hoped to fill the void. Attendees could also linger at pop-ups from the Epoch Times, Right Side Broadcasting Network, America First, One America News, Lindell TV, Proverbs Media Group, and Patriot Mobile, which was pitching itself as a Christian cell phone company. Aside from Trump, the CPAC lineup was missing many of its usual stars, and most of his potential 2024 challengers skipped the conference altogether this year. Several instead attended a rival Club for Growth event in Palm Beach, Florida. Trump spoke just a few hours after Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, and Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow, who announced the formation of something called an election crime bureau. Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado came next with a fire and brimstone speech peppered with Bible verses. We must stand united in this battle against actual evil, she told the room. On Friday, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gently distanced themselves from their old boss in their speeches. Haley was met with chants of Trump, Trump, Trump after she left the stage. The businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, who is also running for the Republican nomination, paraphrased Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech before pledging to get rid of affirmative action, calling it a cancer. He took aim at the Georgia congresswoman and Trump surrogate Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do we want a national divorce or do we want a national revival? Trump, when rattling off thank yous and compliments early in his speech, Representative Matt Gates, a great guy, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, he's a doctor, joked that Greene is a low key person. The CPAC straw poll, once a pivotal moment in the GOP election cycle, wrapped up 10 minutes ahead of schedule tonight. On cue, someone tried to start a Let's Go Brandon chant during the unveiling of the results. Unsurprisingly, Trump won with 62% of the vote, crushing his closest rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who received 20%. Curiously, Trump never mentioned DeSantis in his speech. DeSantis was scheduled to speak at the Reagan Presidential Library on Sunday, and both he and Trump are soon headed to Iowa. Steve Bannon, a proud recipient of a Trump pardon, was among the biggest celebrities of the weekend. 
Late Friday afternoon, he marched onto the stage in all black, three pens clipped to his shirt, and attacked Fox News for its alleged soft ban of Trump. He referred to the Murdoch family as a bunch of foreigners and said, note to Fox senior management, when Donald J. Trump talks, it's newsworthy. He fired up the crowd. We're not looking for unity. We're looking for victory. And nice work. He's exactly right. He pounded his hand on the lectern, summing up the theme of the weekend, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. As Trump spoke, another of the gathering's many Let's Go Brandon chants broke out, and the former president thanked the crowd. At one point, he play-acted a scene between President Joe Biden and his son Hunter, discussing the laptop from hell, and received genuine laughs. Trump warned that Biden is leading us into oblivion, then promised to single-handedly end the war between Russia and Ukraine. Nearly every topic he touched, border security, foreign wars, had a way of coming back around to him, Trump. NATO wouldn't even exist if I didn't get them to pay up, he said. He then spoke hypothetically about Russia blowing up NATO's headquarters. And it's funny that they report these things knowing that their readers will just be like, yeah, haha, all that's so ridiculous. What are these crazy loons talking about? While obviously failing to understand that this is where the country is at and Trump is reflecting that back to the country, the country is on board. No, not everyone. No, not all Republicans, because many Republicans at this point are just Biden voters. They are election fraud deniers. They can say election denier until the end of days, and it doesn't stop anyone. The elections were stolen. Denying that means you didn't check. If you are an election fraud denier, you are a Biden supporter. You are a regime supporter. There is only one serious position, and that is understanding that our elections are stolen and obviously stolen. The Atlantic writers, of course, being the unserious people they are, don't address any of these claims. They just report these claims, again, knowing that the audience will understand these are all silly things that we can make fun of. He closes out this way. You know, I had a beautiful life before I did this, Trump said wistfully at one point. I lived in luxury. I had everything. As the speech crossed the 90-minute mark, Trump was clearly losing the audience. He returned to the wartime language. We will not yield. We will press forward, he promised. We will finish what we started. And how long have they been telling us that Trump is losing the audience? He's turning off his own base. They've been saying that since 2015. It has never been true. The MAGA movement has never been stronger. It has never been bigger. We had a massive majority in 2020, and that majority has grown since then. People have not taken the Trump pill yet. I understand. People are not fully on board with Trump. I understand. Wait until the situation becomes binary. Wait until another four years of Biden and the regime is staring people in the face. Another, what, 20 months from now, 20 months of learning and awakening and understanding and experiencing the life the regime has promised. At some point, the Trump pill will be taken by an overwhelming majority of this country. And at that point, people will be only Trump. The never Trump thing is going to fade far, far into the background. And they love, they love the narrative about how Trump is being dark and ominous. Everything is about his grievances. He's pretending to speak for the people, but he really has no people. 
Good luck, commies. Good luck with that. Why don't they cover the positive agenda that Trump is laying out? Why don't they cover what Trump is promising to do in his second term? He's releasing almost every day, a couple of times a week. He is releasing pieces of the agenda he plans to pursue when he is once again recognized as the duly elected legitimate president of the United States of America. And he released another one of those on Friday while CPAC was going on. Here's that statement. Past generations of Americans pursued big dreams and daring projects that once seemed absolutely impossible. They pushed across an unsettled continent and built new cities in the wild frontier. They transformed American life with the interstate highway system. Magnificent it was. And they launched a vast network of satellites into orbit all around the Earth. But today, our country has lost its boldness. Under my leadership, we will get it back in a very big way. If you look at just three years ago, what we were doing was unthinkable how good it was, how great it was for our country. Our objective will be a quantum leap in the American standard of living. That's what will happen. Here are just a few of the ways we can do it. Almost one-third of the landmass of the United States is owned by the federal government, with just a very, very small portion of that land, just a fraction, one-half of one percent. Would you believe that? We should hold a contest to charter up to 10 new cities and award them to the best proposals for development. In other words, we'll actually build new cities in our country again. These freedom cities will reopen the frontier, reignite American imagination, and give hundreds of thousands of young people and other people, all hardworking families, a new shot at home ownership and, in fact, the American dream. Another big opportunity is in transportation. Dozens of major companies in the United States and China are racing to develop vertical takeoff and landing vehicles for families and individuals. Just as the United States led the automotive revolution in the last century, I want to ensure that America, not China, leads this revolution in air mobility. These breakthroughs can transform commerce, bring a giant infusion of wealth into rural America, and connect families in our country in new ways. Likewise, through our Strategic National Manufacturing Initiative, which is going to be very big and very, very successful, we will turn forgotten communities into hives of industry, producing the goods we will no longer import from China. We will also have a major initiative on lowering the cost of living with a special focus on lowering the cost of a new car and lowering the cost to build a single-family home and they will be beautiful homes. And I will ask Congress to support baby bonuses for young parents to help launch a new baby boom. Finally, I'll challenge the governors of all 50 states to join me in a great modernization and beautification campaign, getting rid of ugly buildings, refurbishing our parks and our public spaces, making cities and towns more livable, ensuring a pristine environment, and building towering monuments to our true American heroes. Very importantly, I will also make sure all of these new places are safe. We love and cherish our police, 
They will do the job the way they have to. It is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. I will dramatically increase living standards and build a future that brings our country together through excitement, opportunity, and success. Thank you very much. So what sounds better, that vision or vaccine passports and defunding the police? What sounds better, flying cars or wars all around the world and brand new pandemics popping up all the time with brand new vaccines they'll force you to take in order to treat them? Trump is laying out a bold vision for America. And if people could get past their own feelings about Trump, nearly all of which are a product of their media obsession and their obsession with their own self-image and how they project that to the world, the incentives they respond to when announcing their political positions on just about everything in social media. If they get past that, they will realize Trump's agenda is the agenda they want to, because for normal people, this is actually the best thing that has ever been on offer. No wars, ending human trafficking and drug trafficking, jobs and economic opportunities, economic growth, energy independence, a future of building and prospering. Removal of the global regime and the communist Marxist ideology that has dominated our educational systems and our culture. It's just Trump's personality. It's just the mean tweets. People just can't get over the fact that they're simply going to have to let their Trump hatred go, their hatred of MAGA go, their hatred for their fellow citizens go. None of it is serving them. The longer they hold on to it, the longer they suffer because the end is inevitable. And it's not just these statements. Trump continued to hammer on some of these themes on Truth Social today. He said the Democrats are using their prosecutors to try and steal another presidential election. The only candidate they don't want to run against is Trump, me, despite their disinformation campaign to the contrary. I beat them twice, did much better the second time, and they don't want to do it again. Will be a lot tougher for them to cheat and rig the election. And that's why they're using their city, state and federal prosecutors. Republicans in Congress are watching closely. DOJ should stop. And again, he's telling them directly, we know what you're doing. It's not going to work. You'd be better off if you just stopped right now. But will they? Of course not. They want to indict Donald Trump. And in terms of the election rigging, he said this, all Republican governors should immediately pull out of Eric, the terrible voter registration system that pumps the rolls for Democrats and does nothing to clean them up. It's a fool's game for Republicans. And while these governors are at it, go to same day voting, all paper ballots and voter ID, mail in voting only for far away military and those that are very sick problems on elections solved. And that, to me, sounds like a direct order for the action of Republican governors. They do need to do this stuff, and the people need to demand that they do it. Where have these governors been? There's not a governor in this country, a Republican governor in this country, who has properly pursued election fraud in their states. And there is no argument to be made that Ron DeSantis has. 
That is nothing more than something the television told people after the midterms. Ooh, a big win for Ron DeSantis, a big win for Greg Abbott, a big win for Brian Kemp in Georgia. Therefore, these establishment Republican governors must have fixed the elections in their states, except they didn't. They barely did anything to even move the needle in two years. There is one choice, the Trump choice. The Trump pill must be taken. This needs to be realized by the establishment, and it needs to be realized by people who genuinely did go cast their vote for Joe Biden. There is no other choice. And despite the narrative about a subdued CPAC, CPAC still does prove that there is only one choice. In fact, the anti-Trump contingent didn't even bother to show up. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. 
I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!